I kind of remember what my brother Richard says because I would ask him and he would tell me this is the will of God for my life. And this is the will of God for my life at this time to go through whatever it is that we'll go through. But he's right here with me. So I'm not going through it alone. Amen? So let's pray and let's get to running here. Oh, do we have something special here? We don't? All right. Well, we can go then. Ah, Father, we want to thank you and praise you for another day that you've granted unto us. And we thank you, Lord, for the remembrance and allowing us, Lord, to reflect and remember that Christ came into this world to save sinners and that God himself came down to us because we could not go to him. And he came, as he said, to seek and to save because, Lord, man's mind does not seek after God, the one and only true God. They seek after a religious experience or religious knowledge But they really don't seek after you. And what you desire from each and every one of us is that we would truly seek after you and you alone. And Lord, help us to come to that place where, Lord, we want to seek after you, not because of the blessings that we receive, but we want to seek after you, O God, because of who you are that you truly are our living God and that we desire, Lord, as much as you desire to have fellowship with you. Purify our hearts, purify our thoughts and help us, O God, to see you clearly. And in this coming year, O God, those who have somewhat become with their with their Christianity and, and, and those who take it for granted. Lord, may you stir their hearts as never before. That, Lord, that there be that desire to run after you like the deer runneth after the water. That, Lord, that they will seek you, O God, and thirst for you and want to be fed by you. And that, Lord... They'll come to that place where they're truly designed to sit at your feet. May we all desire that. To sit at your feet and to be taught of you. May you bless us, O God. Because we are your people. And we're dependent upon you. For we move and we have our being in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is the one who keeps us. For we're in the hollow of his hands. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're back on that area of church and salvation. And it's important to recognize, in a sense, we need both. Because this is what God has ordained. This is what God has given to us. And we want to trust in it. And we want to come to that place to understand it. And we're going to go through the Gospels a little bit, picking out the areas of training time that the Lord Jesus Christ spent with his 
disciples, his apostles. Um, how many of you like to be criticized? Four or five times through the gospel, the apostles or the disciples were criticized. And they were criticized by the Pharisees and the elders and so forth. And you need to understand also, you're going to be more criticized by your peers than you are by your people on the outside. But at the same time, you need to rejoice over it. You need to rejoice over criticism. And people say, well, I I don't like criticism because that's just negativeness. No, it isn't. Corrective criticism or criticism itself has to be understood that other people are watching you. (laughs) Other people are watching you. Other people are analyzing you. Other people are taking judgment of you. And you need to recognize that's what God wants. He wants other people to see you. Now, your issue is going to be this, and my issue is going to be this. Am I living right? (laughs) Am I living a life worthy of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And we need to be willing to learn to receive criticism. And very quickly, when you receive it, the Holy Spirit will speak. Or he'll begin to teach you. One of the things that I've been dealing with is what I heard one of the Muslims say. The issue was, do you find anywhere in the gospel... Where Jesus says that he's God. And boy, I was pondering that and pondering that. And I'm going through the scriptures trying to look for it. And it really is not there. Unless you take John chapter 8, where Jesus says to the Pharisee, I am. And he's using the same I am that he said to Moses back in Exodus. I am. And then the Lord spoke something else into my heart. He says... All I have to do is be. That's all. All I have to do is be who I am. So I continue to read more and more, and I begin to ask my question. Who's ever stopped a storm among men? Who's ever directed the wind among men? Whoever called anybody from the grave? See, I don't have to say I'm God, but the acts that I do demonstrate that I am. And the acts that you perform and the acts that you do, they demonstrate whether or not if you're really called of Christ and if you're really saved. Respect those who criticize you. 
but they are watching you. <laughs> They're watching you. They're looking at your life. It is an act of analysis, yes, a judgment, but what's being judged is your qualities. Is your qualities. An evaluation of comparative worth. And most people, and that's why the scripture tells us, don't measure yourself what? By yourself. Because usually that's all we have to measure. And you need to understand, it is an act of disapproving and finding fault. And that's okay. It's okay to be found fault with that you've only been married to one woman for 30 years, 50 years, 25 years. It's okay to be found fault that you haven't had other women or men in your life. That's okay. It's okay to be found fault that you think your children are perfect or that you raised your children a certain way and and that people want to criticize the mannerism and how your children speak and what they accomplish. It's okay. It's okay for people to criticize you because in a sense, you're successful. And it's not that you think you are all of this and all of that. That's not the issue. It's their problem, not whose yours. Now, if you were to pick 12 people for a task, and one of them failed, how would you grade yourself? Boy, if you pick 12 people and just one person flunked the test, you've done pretty good. (laughs) And that was Jesus. Now, Here's this historical issue. Historically, John the Baptist and the Jewish teachers, they never chose who they were going to disciple. History allows us to know that. But the disciples always found a teacher who they wanted to learn from. And they went and asked if they could become a disciple of theirs. If they could become an intern of theirs. If they could come and learn from them. With Jesus, that was not the case. Jesus breaks that. And he chooses those. Now, on the peripheral side, yes. Many people wanted to follow Jesus, but they had not really been chosen. So we read in Scripture that a great number of his what disciples did what? Said, this is too hard. This is too difficult to follow. This is too much to try to understand. And what happened to them? They fell away. One of the things that really is a test for you and I as being Christians or followers of Christ 
is that when it really gets tough in following the Lord and His commands of us, that we stay with it. That we stay with it. And being a Christian is not really easy. It can become difficult for us. Because we forget. And here comes the separation of the road for us. Either you're going to try to obey Jesus in the flesh and be the Christian that you are picturing in Scripture, per se. And let me share something with you. If you do it in the flesh, you're not going to make it. Or it becomes a surrendering act to the Holy Spirit who is grooming and developing you in that image of Christ that you're going to have victory even when you think you cannot achieve it or do it. But now you've surrendered to the Holy Spirit to do a development work in your life that the flesh cannot do. Now, the Jewish teachers and John didn't choose their disciples, as I've said, but Jesus chose his. And out of the group of disciples, he winds up choosing 12 of them to be apostles. And Jesus, on the other hand, he picked each one of them. He picked his disciples, the ones that he wanted to call apostles. And they were not self-made. They were not self-electing. They were not men who went out and tried to hit a certain standard and say, well, I made it to this standard. They were men that were not what I would say would be the Sadducees and the Pharisees and those that thought they had knowledge. And if you really understand that, what God did and what Jesus did here, they picked men who wanted to learn and not argue. And there they went. Somebody slow that clock up. They were not self-made. And they would stay close to Jesus for their development. If you want to grow, you have to stay close to Jesus. You have to stay close to Jesus. Go to Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. One you're going to discover in that verse that these are the ones that Jesus wanted. And I want to bring to your mind John fifteen sixteen, I believe it is. You have not chosen me, but I have done what? I have chosen you. I have chosen you. Okay. And that whole process. And somebody will say, because the other day I was listening, one guy was bringing out his point, and Elaine and I, we were in the car, and he brought out that God chose those who were going to be saved, but then he chose those also who was going to be damnable. And I told you, no, I I don't accept that process. And I don't accept it based on this fact. It is God's will that all would be what? But then he says over in uh, John chapter 1, For as many as received me, well, as many as received him, 
there's a response to the call on their life. Because what oftentimes is not explained, God is calling all of us. The question is, how many of us will respond to his call? How many of us will respond to his call? And he wanted these. It's not that he rejected the others, but he appointed these individuals to be his 12 apostles. Who's going to be close with them? And they have to learn certain things. They might be with him. He wanted them to be with him. Because the only way that he was going to change the religious norm of that day, if he took these few men and really nurtured them, they would send, he would send them out to do what? To proclaim his word and to preach. And he would give them authority to do what? Drive out demons. And let me share something with you. When you proclaim Jesus, as the song says, at the name of Jesus, Satan has to what? Flee. When you are really teaching truth, the demonic spirit who is teaching a heresy or falsehood or telling a person a lie, they have to flee. They have to back off. Because now truth comes into play. Now, he says here, Jesus went up on a mountain in verse 13. We're in Mark chapter 3. And called to him those he wanted. He called to those that he wanted out of all of his disciples. He calls them. When you read First John, when Je- I'm sorry, St. John, in chapter 1, I believe it is, where Jesus says, come and see, come and see. And, and he's talking about Andrew and the disciples that came also who followed from John the Baptist after being baptized. You find that at that point, Jesus didn't call them. John even points some of his disciples to Jesus. Then Andrew go finds Peter and so forth. And Philip goes and finds who? Nathaniel and so forth. I mean, that whole process is something. But guess what? When you're really looking at it, you'll discover. They went back to their occupations. They're following. They're curious. But they have not been called at that point to be apostles. And he says to them, come and see. Illustrate what I would do even in the church. Come and see. And I tell people, come Come on to church. Come and see. Why? If somebody's out in the middle of the ocean drowning, you don't give them a bunch of regulations in order to get in the boat. You want them to get in the boat. Now, they don't like the company in the boat, and they don't like the situation in the boat. They always have the option to go back where? But hopefully when they get in, they find the kindness of God, the love of God. And guess what they might discover? People who live differently than what they live. So I invite them in. Why? I want them to be around people that live differently, talk differently, have different way of thinking. And let that have an influence on their life and whether or not they want to really accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on, he says, he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles. Then they might be with him. That's the second important thing, that they would be with him. 
Christ called you to be with Him. He didn't call you just to be saved. He didn't call you just to miss hell. He didn't call you for a distant time in history in which you would die and you would know you're going to heaven. He called you that you could be with Him every day, every minute, every hour. He called you to Himself. Why? He wants to fellowship with you constantly, talk with you constantly, develop you, work in your life. He didn't save you here that you could say, oh, I'm saved, go live however you want to live, and then when you die, boy, yeah, they in heaven at the funeral, oh, they in heaven. I never hear a preacher in the funeral say he went to hell. But it's always in that area that they went to heaven. And what he saved you for is that constant fellowship. Because he wants you to be with him. They had to learn to take criticism from other religious people. Go with me to Mark chapter 7. Y'all might get 35 minutes. In Mark chapter 7, 1 through 13... Just follow down with me, and we're going to hit a couple of highlights. And he begins, he says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean. They're observing. They're, wa- they're watching these disciples of Jesus. And they're observing, hey, they're eating, but they haven't washed their hands. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, they're mine disciples, not the elders' disciples. No. For some of us, we would give a very smart answer sometimes. That we with them, they're not yours, they're mine. I'm training them the way I want to train them. They're not being trained the way the elders would train them or the Pharisees would train them. He didn't give that. Now the object lesson with the disciples. You're being criticized. But answer the criticism with scripture and with wisdom and knowledge. And it says, he replied to them, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. Now let me bring out a little point here. Jesus could call them hypocrites. The apostles, or the disciples at this time and stage, most likely would not have been able to do that without some type of consequences to these so-called leaders. But Jesus doesn't. 
He does it for them. Now understand, the disciples are being criticized for what they're not doing. And they ask Jesus about it. And Jesus defends them. And he is the one who has called them, so he's taking responsibility for what? For their action. And he replies, and he says, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is where at? It's far from me. It's far from me. You can look good on the outside, but what's your heart? And he goes on and he says, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. What kind of rules are you really following? What kind of rules have you set up for yourself? Are you yourself aligned the Holy Spirit to set in the commandments of God in your life? Or do you follow your own rules? And oftentimes we set our own rules up when we cannot perform to what God has called us to perform to. And then we use that little excuse. He knows my heart. Yes, he does. And he knows every time when he gives you a command or asking you to do something, why you make an excuse. And the excuse, oftentimes, is based on the very fact that you're not really trusting the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do in your life, and you're not giving him the privilege to work. And that's why Scripture tells us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the work that he's doing. And he goes on, he says, You have let go of the commands of God. You did what? Let go of the commands of God. How many of us let go of what God is asking us to do something else? He says, you let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments. Now watch this twist that takes place. He doesn't give them a smart answer. He gives them a scriptural answer back in Isaiah. He is is teaching them to let people fight with what? Fight with the scripture. That when you have somebody really criticizing you and doing what you're doing, be ready to give them scripture. Let them then wrestle with what? Scripture. Not with you. Not with you. And he replies exactly what he's going to do. And what Jesus basically says when he calls them those hypocrites, basically he's allowing them to see themselves. And then he comes to that place, he said, boy, you do live by your own traditions. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You worship me in vain by the traditions that you go through, man. You don't keep my commandments. The complaint was concerning the disciples, but yet not one disciple enters into this discussion. They are learning. They're observing. They're watching. And Jesus defends them. They learn how to move from answering a question to stating a fact about them, about those who come to criticize them. 
Listen to what he says in verse 9. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And anyone who curses father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man say to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is corpora. That is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. You replace the command with one of your traditions. You can play serving me with something that you want to do that is your tradition. And what you don't do is serve me with a full heart, with a faithful heart. Rather, it's one of your things that take place over what I have asked of you. And it says again, now Jesus takes the question from the two of them, from the Himself and the Pharisees and the elders, the two of them are talking. He takes that criticism and that question and he turns it around to the larger group. He turns the question into a teachable moment. And understand, sometime when you are speaking, you may not be aware of other people who might be listening. Be able to take a criticism and turn it into a teachable moment that others may learn from. So when we pick up in that verse 14, you're going to see a teachable moment come about. And Jesus called the crowd to him and said, boy, no longer interested in really who? The Pharisees or the elders who started this conversation. But he turns this thing around. And he puts it then to the crowd. Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. Why would they ask? Because they're not clear on it. Now remember, these men have been raised on the tradition. These men have been raised on their religiosity. These men have been raised as Jewish men. Now ask this question of yourself. Would the Pharisees have said anything if they would have been Gentiles? The Pharisees would have never brought up the issue of washing hands if they would have been Gentiles. But they are Jews. And this is the traditions of Jewish individuals. And he goes on, he says, in verse 17, After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing can enter a man from the outside, can make him unclean? It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. For it doesn't go into his heart. What is God saying? 
What he's looking for is a heart. Not your religiosity. Not your traditions. But is your heart leading your actions for the glory of God? Do you give it all from your heart? Or do you give it just out of duty? Or do you give it just out of tradition? Do you do it just because that's what we do in church? Or does it come from the heart? And he goes on and he says, But unto his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared, All food is clean. Nothing that you partake of will really do harm to you. And he goes on, he says, he went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. What comes out of your heart? What comes out of your thought life? What comes out of what you do in your actions and so forth? For from within, out of a man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, Malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside. They come out of the heart. They come out of the heart. And Jesus takes time to teach his disciples how to take a criticism, answer it, then turn it around through scripture to show the individual who might be criticizing the whole thing about themselves without saying it directly, but allowing scripture to say it. Then he does something amazing. He drops, in a sense, himself, his disciples, the Pharisees, the elders, and he somehow brings in all those individuals who are outside of this conversation, in a sense, he brings them into the conversation. And then he shares a deep truth with them. Because they were all Jews. It's not about what you do on the outside. It's about what comes from out of here, on the inside, from the heart. And my time is up. My boss told me 30 minutes. But I hope we can capture that. That even though you are a follower of Christ, you will be criticized. You will be talked about. It is not what the disciples do or the apostles do that is so amazing? What is so wonderful is what Jesus made from them. So in Second Corinthians, it simply says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, what old things pass away, behold, all things new. What is so amazing about you and I is what Christ is doing in our lives in developing us. That's the amazing thing. Father, 
we thank you and praise you for your work in each and every one of our lives. May you continue to develop us and make us. May you bring us into that full image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us not to be a people who get upset of people criticizing us. The good thing about that is that they're watching my life. The good thing about that, they're evaluating their own life. The good thing about that, oh God, it gives me an opportunity to share with them why I do what I do or why I believe what I believe, why I act the way I act. Help us, Lord, to take criticism of life and bring it into a teaching moment. Not just for those who ask the question, but for those who might be standing around that they might hear it and respond. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, for using each one of us. Thank you. As we prepare to give to the Lord, we want to give with thanksgiving. And we want to give with praise, recognizing what he has done for us. Father, as we give unto you, we pray, O God, that you would multiply And that, Lord, you would use these funds for your glory and for the uplifting of the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not what Akron Alliance Fellowship does for you that is amazing. What is amazing, Lord, is what you do with this little group. And, Lord, we pray that you will continue to use us, that we might be a light in this community that we might be a church that would stand fast upon the foundations that you have laid for us. Take this offering, Lord, and use it in a mighty way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.